December. It's Christmas time. It's officially, it's uh, Carol's is two weeks away. It's happening really quickly. So it's a, it's a great season to be in. Great to see so many great things that are, are coming up. Hey, my name's John. If we haven't met, I'm the youth and young adults pastor, and I'm excited to to be sharing this morning. We're uh, continuing and finishing our uh, Color Your World series. It's our fifth week. Anyone been here for the last few weeks? You've caught at least a couple of the the colors, and we're we're finishing on a high. We're finishing on our on on our favorite color. It's it's yellow. It's yellow. Come on, is it actually your favorite color? Yellow? Because I, I I said I said this to the. Is it anyone's favorite color here in the in this? Literally no one. So, so in the first service, I said I said the same thing, and I was just like, "Yeah, we're finishing on a high yellow," and everyone's like, "Nope." Like, I don't like yellow. I'm like, oh, okay, beautiful. No, but we're going to have a good time uh, looking at yellow, which is cool. I tried to wear my, my best yellow shirt. It's a yellow-green-ish shirt. It's close, um, but uh, going to have some fun. And we've been looking at what we've been looking in this series is, is what color kind of means, what color can represent as well, and then what can we bring into the world and what can we take for our lives and what can we, uh, how can we color the worlds that we actually live in. And so yellow has a few different things that it represents. The first part is kind of warning and attention. Um, you might notice lots of signs are yellow. Uh, we might even have a, a slide of a traffic sign thing there. Lots of signs are yellow. Your kind of brain can't help but kind of go to it as well. The other part to it is actually kind of fear and danger as well. And I've got a picture here of a, of a frog as well. The poison dart frog. Um, you look at that and you kind of, you know, even though it has poison in its name, you're like, you know, that's something I've got to be afraid of. Like it is poisonous and, you know, it, at it's a, a warning for other animals to look at it and say, hey, that's something I've got to be afraid of. And so I want to look into uh, fear. I want to look into the topic of, of being fearless uh, this morning. And I, I saw an article uh, just this week, actually, of uh, it said something along the lines of like 10 common fears that we have every day. And I just related so hard to them. So I was just like, I've got to share at least a couple of them with you. So there's four that I want to share with you. And uh, I'll put them on the screen. I'm sure that you'll relate. Now, this one, the first one before we get into it was it, you've just got to work maybe or uni. You've had a nice start to the morning, maybe some breakfast or whatever. You get to work and then all of a sudden this thought pops into your head the did I lock the door when I left the house fear. You're just like, oh my goodness. Anyone relate to that? I feel like I have this like kind of on the reg, you know. Is my house currently getting robbed? I don't know. Um, is it, my door is locked, hopefully. That's the number one. The number two is, um, and this is probably more my wife, but I relate to it as well, is, let's go to the next one. Did I leave the hair straightener on fear? Come on, any any ladies in the house, you relate to that. I feel like this always happens, like date night. Like So I'm like, we've, we've made the effort, we've found a babysitter, I'm kind of, we've strolled up to the city, we've driven all the way, we get there, we get to the table, we're having like a beautiful dinner, and then Tegan says the famous words to me, did I leave the straightener on? I'm just like, I have no idea. I don't know. I'm, st I'm devastated. You know, we have to drive all the way. No, we don't drive all the way home. We make some calls and you, you know, is, you're thinking, is my house like currently on fire? I don't know. Um, you know, having all these uh, different things going through your mind. And then the next one, um, it's, a, it's a little bit TMI, too much information, but it's one that I related to and I couldn't help but share it. Here we go. How long has my fly been down? How long has my fly been down? Like you're getting up, you're preaching a message, you're up there for half an hour, you get down, you look down, you're like, geez, how long has that been down for? <laughs> geez, that's really awkward. You know, I've had someone actually say that to me, your fly's down when you've got down. You're like, 
Wow, like that's em- that's embarrassing. Don't look now, please, uh, if you can. I'll put, I wore a long shirt, so <laughs> that's awkward. Um, but uh, it's a genuine fear. It's a genuine fear, and I'm sure most uh, uh, people that have worn jeans would know that fear. Okay, and then the last one. It's a bit longer, um, but it's a good one. I just forgot where I was, and I said slash did something. I only do in the comfort of my own home in public, and did anyone see? Did anyone see? Just put your, your finger up your nose, and you just kind of like, th- th- I genuinely do this, and this is why I've, I've shared it. It's like you're sitting in a friendship group, kind of comfortable, and then you just have a quick pick, and you're just like, oh, geez, who saw that? You know, what's going on? You're like, oh, that's awkward. Um, but that's the four fears that I wanted to share, because, you know, it's something that we we all deal with. It's something that we all, if we're honest, are uh, kind of shaped by by some way, and uh, it's a, it's something that God wanted us to, to understand, fear, and wanted us to, or to to have less of and not uh, be defined by. And so the title of my message this morning is Fearless Faith. Fearless Faith. And it's a big, big topic, um, but I want to look at how we can overcome fear as well. Now, the challenge is, is that we live in a world that is very shaped by fear. It speaks fear a lot as well. You don't have to, you know, look around too long, but you realize that fear is a language that is spoken a lot. You look at a newspaper, you read the read the news or you turn on a TV, you see the articles, the headlines that are going on. It's like, you know, there's been 15 shark attacks in the last hour and you're just like, whoa, that's scary. I don't want to swim ever in my life. Or it's like, you know, crime rates are rising. It's like food studies are talking about how, you know, foods that you thought were good are now bad. You know, apples are actually bad for you and you're like spewing and you're like, bacon's actually good for you now. Soy milk, you know, kind of gives you man boobs and you're just like, you know, what? What do I listen to? What do I do? You know, there's just so much kind of fear spoken and, uh, it's something that God wanted us to understand. Did you know that the most common phrase in the Bible is, is some variation of fear not and do not be afraid? It's in there over 200 times. So it's something that God wanted us to understand. So we're going to be looking into uh, that this morning, learning from a guy named Moses, a bit of a hero of the faith. It's, a, it's an absolute classic of a story. But we're going to pick up real early on in his journey where he was speaking a bit of yellow. He was speaking a little bit of fear. He had a few different excuses. God had a, a massive call on his life. And he, unfortunately, in that moment, just had a lot of doubts, had a lot of things that he, reasons why he, he couldn't do what God was actually calling him to. So we're going to pick up in Exodus uh, 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 1. And we might read... Uh, Read that together if that's all good. And just to also kind of a bit of context actually while we're, while we're here is that this is the, the halfway through the conversation between uh, God and, and Moses. And it's actually his third, it's his third excuse, the first one that we pick up. He does five. And um, actually I'll, I'll talk about a little bit before as well is that Moses has already fled Egypt. He's already fled from Egypt in fear. There's a kind of a situation that went down. He's found a new life. He's pretty comfortable with this life. He strolls up one day and sees a burning bush and then realizes that God is actually speaking through this burning bush to him. And uh, this is the conversation that uh, God is actually saying to him, calling him to actually go back to Egypt and set his people free who were in slavery in Egypt. So this is the conversation. So Moses protested again, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied, throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw it down and turned it in, and it turned into a snake and Moses jumped back. Going to verse 5. 
that's all right, I can... Then, then the Lord, verse 4, the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So uh, Moses reached out and grabbed it and turned, turned back into a shepherd's staff. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord of the God, the God of, your, of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob really has appeared to you. And we might jump to verse 10 if that's okay. But Moses pleaded with God. This is his next excuse. He says, Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never been and I'm not now. And even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Lord responds, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not fear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded. This is his fifth excuse. Again, he says, Lord, please, just send someone else. Then the Lord became angry with Moses and he says, all right, he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levi? I know he speaks well and look, he is actually conveniently on the way to meet you right now. So here you go, Moses. And he will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth and I will be with both of you as you speak, and I'll instruct you both in what to do. And I might, uh, might actually stop there. So, so Moses, he's speaking uh, a lot of fear, a lot of yellow. He's pretty comfortable and, and uh, happy where he is. And I want to look at the three excuses that, that he makes, and then kind of on that, the three promises and three responses that God has, which, which help us in, in actually our lives and how we can actually be fearless um, in our lives. And so the first one, the excuse is he just says, what if? You know, what if this happens? What if this happens? And basically, he's, he's afraid to fail here. He's kind of coming up with situations that, that might happen, but to be honest, probably won't happen. Probably, you know, might, won't, won't happen in, in the sense that because if God is actually calling him through it, it's going to be, it's going to be okay. Now, if we aren't careful, these are the same two words that actually can keep tripping us up. The what-if fear, the what-if scenario. I don't know about you, but I find that sometimes I worry about lots of things that actually don't end up happening. I don't know about you. Is that true? Is you guys the same thing? Maybe it's just me. But, you know, and statistics actually say is that 90% of the things that we worry about actually don't happen. It's crazy. And, you know, the thing that actually stops us, and I find this so true in my life, is, is actually not failure itself, but actually a fear of failure, a fear of something that might happen, not actually the thing that actually happens, if that makes sense. Now, I love God's response here. He says, you know, Moses, what is in your hand? He, he says it's a staff. He drops it down, became a snake, and he ends up showing some other signs as well in the verses. And, and what this is, is a promise of provision, a promise of provision. And uh, God says, Moses, you're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. You know, I've got your back. I'm going to provide for you along the way. I don't know if you've ever lost something around the house. I feel like I do this. I lose my keys or lose something around the house. And you just turn the house upside down trying to look for it. Anyone else done that? You like turn the, I don't know, turn the bed over, turn the couch, whatever. You just look every single place that you can do. And then you kind of look to your hands and you realize what? Your, your keys are literally in the hand, in your hands. Like I've, I've done this before and I'm like, they're jingling away and I'm like looking for them and I can't quite even notice that they're actually in my hands. It's unropeable. And you know, you, you, you're spewing. But I I love it, what God's doing here to Moses. He's almost just reminding him and saying, hey, 
Moses, you don't have to worry about this plan failing. You don't have to worry about the, the what ifs. I'm a God of provision. Actually, what's in your hand? What can, I'm going to actually help you along the way. I'm going to provide for you along the way. I can turn a staff into a snake if you need be. I can, you know, I can turn water into blood if need be. That's one of the other ones that he does. He's like, I'm going to provide along the way. And I think, you know, when we have those what if scenarios in our life, all we've got to do is be reminded of that exact same question. What is in our hand? What has God got in our lives already that he wants to work through? What are the things that he's calling us to that are already in us, but we just need to know that they're there? We just need to look down and see what God is actually doing and working in us. Does that make sense? God is a God of provision. We'll jump to the next, uh, next excuse. So in verse 10, Moses' next excuse, he essentially just says, I'm, I'm just not good enough. I, just, I can't do it. I'm a terrible public speaker. You expect me to go to the most powerful man in the world and say, set my people free, you know, let them go, and then it's just going to happen? What if I stutter? What if I do this? What if I, what if I make a mistake? I'm not good at speaking. I get nervous. And I love God's response is just simply like, Moses, like, who gave you your mouth? Like, you don't have to worry about that. That's like the least of your worries. And so what God here is saying is actually he's a, is a promise of power, a promise of his power, being the creator, being the one that actually gave him his mouth, the one that actually you know, can plant the words in his mouth and will teach him what to say along the way. And he says, you aren't alone. You're, you're going to be okay. Before, we, uh, before I moved to the city when I was... Uh, about 12 or 13 years old, uh, my, my, I lived in a place called Wild Catchem. Has anyone heard of that? Anyone? Yeah, there's a few people. That's good. It's surprising. I actually feel like it's a town that like, no one's heard of. But it's a few, a few hours east. It's a little country town, about 900 people in the town. And uh, one thing we used to love to do was play sport and ride motorbikes, um, you know, my brother and I. And so we had two motorbikes. We had one, which was a Honda XR80. Um, which was pretty cool. It was a good bike. And then the other one was uh, a Suzuki DS80, a Suzuki DS80. Now, one was brand new. The Honda was like a brand new, really nice looking bike. It was beautiful. The DS80 was like a real old model. It was like 1980. Um, I've actually got some pictures here, not of the bikes themselves, but of the, the models that we have. I don't know if we have the, the picture, if that's all right. So this is the XR80. This is the brand new, nice looking bike. It was like the, the cool one, the one that like you know, be honest, brother and I both wanted. And then we had the, the DS8, the DX, DS80, which was the Suzuki. And this was the uh, 90, so this one's actually the 1985 model. We had the 1980 model, and this is like a nice kind of clean version of that. So you imagine this, but just worse, if that makes sense. It's like a terrible, a terrible version. And so when we got these bikes, being the older brother, my dad actually said to me, hey, John, you can actually choose which bike you can have. And I'm like, okay, well, that's a no-brainer, easy. Um, for me, it actually wasn't even about the look. I was like, I'm going for the one that's the fastest. I want the speed. I want the speed kind of bike. And so I was just like, of course, the newer one, the better one, the one that runs smoother. I'm going for the Honda. That's the one that I'm going for. I went for the Honda. And it wasn't, a, it wasn't long afterwards, probably about three or four weeks, where we actually took them out for a bit of a race. We had a bit of a drag. There was a drag strip, like a dirt drag strip up there. My dad was the, the policeman in the town, and so he actually used to get the speed, speedometer to kind of track the speeds on the motorbikes, which I don't know if it's legit or not, or if I should actually share that with you guys, because it's probably illegal. I'm sure it's all right. I'm, I don't know. It's in a country town like that. Come on, Jono. Um, thanks, mate. Um, you know, it's legit. And so 
Um, long story short, I was like, this is going to be a race that I am going to easily win. And then I absolutely got towed up. Like the, the Suzuki was like by far the better bike, by far. It, it absolutely killed it and smashed it. And I was devastated. I was like spewing. I'm like the older brother and should have the faster bike. Um, it wasn't like really, really fast speeds. It was like, I think that was like 82 kilometers an hour at top speed. And the other one was like 71 kilometers an hour. So it's not like kind of super, super fast, fast bikes. I was devastated. But the thing that I didn't know and didn't kind of realize, I guess, at the time. So the Suzuki was actually a two-stroke engine two-stroke engine, and the XR, the Honda XR was actually a four-stroke engine, okay? Does that, does that make sense to anyone? Everyone's, okay, so I don't, I'm not a mechanic, but I'll explain it to you the best that I can. So the two-stroke engine, what it has over the four-stroke engine is it has something called power band. Does anyone know what that is, what I'm talking about? No one, that's all right. So I can just make some stuff up here and it's just going to work. No one's going to know. No one's a mechanic. But anyway, so the power band, basically what it has is that when you're in the gear, a certain gear, so it has five gears, every gear has what's called like a sweet spot. And so as you're, as you're kind of hitting that sweet spot, it would hit the power band and would give it a boost of speed. It'd be literally like the Fast and Furious movies um, when you hit the NOS button and it kind of just starts going. Does anyone know what I'm talking about there? Or I'm like, I feel like I'm just getting nothing here. You know, everyone's kind of sitting there. Um, you know, so it hits the power band and it just zooms. It just goes for it. And it was literally like the coolest thing ever. It was, it was so, so good. But unfortunately, I'd picked the wrong bike. Like I've picked the, I've picked the, I've picked the, the brand new looking bike and, uh, you know, I was a bit devastated. And, you know, but looking at the bike, to relate it back to kind of our story here, is that looking at the two bikes, if you were to just go on ability, is of course, of course you go look at this bike and bike, that's the way better looking, it's more talented, it's the better bike, it's the, you know, smoother, it's, you know, newer, all these kind of things. But actually what I didn't realise was that one was relying on a higher power. One was relying on a power bigger than its own. And am, am I saying one bike was a Christian and one wasn't? <laughs> yes, I am saying that, exactly. That's, the Suzuki was a Christian and was relying on it. No, I'm not actually, I'm not actually saying that, but... But we can't look at our ability alone. Moses here says, I'm not good enough. I, I can't speak. He's looking at his ability. And the thing where he went wrong was that he was only factoring himself in the equation. He didn't realize that there's a high power. He didn't realize that God was actually going to work through him, that God can do. He's like, Moses, I literally gave you your mouth. I can literally do anything. I've already turned a, 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 a staff into a snake. Like, isn't that enough? Like, I can literally do anything. I'm a God of power. You don't have to worry about your ability. In fact, actually, God is more concerned with your availability than your ability. He's asking more of you. Are you open? Are you ready for me to move in your life? He's not actually looking to you to say, you're, you're a fantastic speaker. You're great at this. You can do that. So good. Awesome singing. But... You know, he's actually saying, no, are you open? Are you ready for me to move in your life? So that's the second promise that God gives to him. He says, I'm a God of power. And then the third, it's, quite a, it's kind of funny. At this point, you can imagine God's just like, he's just like, okay, Moses, like, what is going on here, mate? Um, he basically just says, send someone else. Like, he's just like, Moses is just like, God, I've already done four excuses. I've, I've done everything I've tried, and I've tried everything, and no, I just don't want to do it. I've just, I've just, I've just, I'm going to plan a minute. I just can't be bothered. I just don't want to do it. I just, I'm, I'm stuffed. I'm like, I've had enough. And God responds, and, you know, kind of gracefully, I think, he says, Moses, what about your brother? Like, I know 
he can help you. I know he can, he can, he's actually conveniently coming on his way, literally right now. You know, I've, I've orchestrated that. I will send him to help you. And so the third promise that God offers Moses here and offers us today is, is the promise of people. The promise of people. And it's a great picture of a community here is that on the days that I can't be bothered, on the days where, you know, because we, if we all want us, we have these moments where it's like, God, I just, I just don't know if I want to do it today. I've had enough. You know, I can't. On those kind of days, it's actually the people that are around us that God sends to encourage us, to actually empower us to go further, do things that God actually has on our lives. You know, people around us are honestly so powerful. People that we surround ourselves with are really, really powerful. You know, I talk about it with the, the youth all the time. I think it's a, a big thing that can probably have, you know, more shaping probably factors in your younger years particularly. Um, but uh, I always say that friends are like elevator buttons, which is a bit random. But, you know, what can elevator buttons do? They can take you up and they can take you down. Friends can take you up, friends can take you down. I don't know about you, but I want my friends to take me to another level. I want my friends to take me further than I can go on my, by myself. I want, I want to surround myself with people that have more faith than I do. I want to surround myself with people that are going to take me to where God is actually calling me and where God is actually, you know, leading me to. And so if on days that I can't be bothered, I've got my friends, I've got Moose, I've got, you know, all these people around me that say, hey, you can do it. You're great. You know, you're, you're, you know, and you, they encourage you and they empower you. In fact, in the Bible, I think Paul actually talks about it. There's three types of friendships or people that we've actually got to have around us. It's really important is that you've got to have uh, people who are further on the journey than you. So people that can be like mentors, people that can speak into your life, speak wisdom, help you out, that have maybe done a few more miles than you, that know, you know, some of the things that you're going through, but have been through them already and come out the other side. You know, that's really important to have. And then there's the people who are, you could say mutual or on the similar journey as you, you know, maybe similar age, similar stage of life. It's important to have those kind of people who literally are going through the same things and you can talk about them and you can, yeah, journey with them. And then, uh, and then to invest into the people who you are further on the journey than, you know, the people that are maybe younger than you, the people that are, um, have less experience. And so you can actually, you know, help them on their journey. There's three types of people that we've got to have. But the thing is with that is that we've got to be really intentional with those people. We've got to be really intentional with all of those relationships that, you know, each one of them don't just happen. God sends them but we've got to be intentional in actually choosing them and actually making that happen, making, you know, finding, because there's, you know, lots of people here I know that that could definitely invest into my life, but it's not going to happen unless I make the call and say, hey, let's catch up for a coffee. You know, there's lots of people that I know on similar stages as me and journey, journey of life as me, but it's not going to happen unless I reach out and say, hey, let's do this together. And then also same, of course, with investing into people. You know, you've got to, you know, have a relationship to invest into someone. So these are things that we've got to be intentional with and we've got to use the, the promise of people, the power of people, because I reckon it's going to be one thing that really takes us further in life and help us be fearless in life. Um, we, we're going we're gonna to go into a song. Maybe we'll get the band up if that's all right. And um, if we can stand to our feet. Is it, can we stand to our feet? And if you need, you can, I know we've been sitting down for a little bit. You can do a little stretch if you want. Maybe lean side to side. To side. We're going we're gonna to sing a song called No Longer Slaves, an awesome, awesome, awesome song. And yeah, I'm really believing that God is calling us to be people that have fearless faith. 
to calling us to, to live with less fear in our lives, less fear and to be defined more by faith. You know how we overcome our fear in our lives? Is by knowing that God is with us every step of the way. That's one of the things I see here in, with, with Moses' life, that everything that, that God was promising to him is all because of his presence in his life. He's saying, you know, I'm, I'm a provider. I'm going to be right with you. I have power, and so I'm going to be right with you, and I'm going to send people who are going to be with you, and I'm going to be with you every single step of the way. You don't have to step into this alone. You can actually rely on me because I'm going to be with you. I'm going to teach you what to say. I looked into the, the definition of, of fearless just this week, and, uh, you know, sometimes you think it can be like, Oh, I have to be like a, a hero or I have to be like, you know, I have to be like a, I don't know, someone that just has no fear and no worry and no stress. And I think, you know, of, of course, that's not the reality. We, we all, as humans, have fear. We all have, you know, stre- stress and, and different things going on. But I, I, I love the definition that, that it said was that actually to be fearless is free from fear. It's free from fear, meaning that it doesn't hold us captive. It, we're not bound by fear. That when situations come up, when worry hits us, when stressful situations of Christmas and whatever come, when you know, what am I going to choose? I'm not going to choose fear. I'm not. I don't have to give in to fear. I'm going to choose faith. I don't have to be bound by my fear. I can. I'm going to actually be dictated by my faith, and I'm going to step into that more. So I want to encourage you this morning as we sing this song, let's be people that are free from fear. Let's be people that, hey, doesn't mean we don't have any fear, but we're free from it. We don't have to be defined by it. We can overcome it because God is with us every step of the way. So I'm going to pray for us, and uh, we're going to sing these together. God, we, th- we thank you that we can be fearless because you are with us every single step of the way. God, you are a God who is present. You are a God that is a provider. You are a God that is powerful. And God, you you send people to go to, to help us along the way. And God, I just pray that today, maybe even for some of us who feel a little bit enslaved by fear, feel like we've been bound by it for too long, God, I pray that you would set us free from our fear. We no longer have to be defined by our fear, God, but we want to be defined by you and we want to be defined by faith. May that be the dictator of our life. May faith be the defining thing of our life. And so when situation comes to us, when certain things are are thrown at us that we don't expect God, we're okay because we know we've got you by our side every step of the way. Amen. Amen. Let's sing this song together. Declare it no longer slaves. Come on.